You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat Podcast, where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat, where baseball meets Broadway. I'm your host, Al Malafrante, coming at you for the Broadway Podcast Network. Uh, Tonight is one of those shows where I think everyone listening at home will be able to tell just how pumped I am to welcome our very special hitter to the batter's box. And uh, I always try to bring the same energy to every conversation that we have here, but every once in a while, I'm fortunate enough to welcome a personal favorite from show business. And, uh, you know, I've said many times in the show just how formative the mid-2000s were for me as far as developing my passion for theater and baseball in such a big way. And I've also talked about how there's only a handful of shows that I've had the privilege to see more than once. And uh, one of those shows just happens to be Wicked. Um, Second time I saw it, Drama Club Field Trip, freshman year of high school. I remember the anticipation walking into the Gershwin being on part of the playoff game at Yankee Stadium. And I had the privilege of witnessing tonight's special guest during the heart of her rookie year here on the Broadway. Uh, She was taken on the role of Glinda and delivered a performance you'll never forget. Uh, You knew right away she was going to be a star, and that was only the beginning for her. She's since gone on to establish a career in show business that's as phenomenal as anyone's. Um, After Wicked, she went on to star at 9 to 5, earned a Tony nomination for her performance in Noises Off, and of course her portrayal of Ivy Lynn in NBC Smash made her a household name. Uh, recently, she starred in Lifetime's Patsy and Loretta, and throughout this pandemic, she's lent her talents to the voiceover world in Trollstopia. So as you can see, she's a player with a tremendous skill set that we're so grateful could join us tonight. So with that being said, if you'll please turn your attention to home plate, just beyond the marquee, now batting Megan Hilty. Megan, welcome to Break a Bat. Hey, Al, how are you? I am hanging in there. How about you? <laughs> the same. I think that's that's the best we can ask for right now, huh? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, I don't have two young kids like you do. How is the homeschooling going? Oh, it's insane. It's it's absolutely insane to think that it's almost been a year since my daughter's been in a classroom and that now I'm in charge of her education. Well, I'm not in charge. She has two amazing teachers. Uh, but you know, since it's distance learning, a, a lot of, a lot of it falls in our laps, me and my husband. Uh, but we also have a three-year-old. So he, we've kind of, my husband's taken a three-year-old and I've taken our six-year-old and I now have helped teach my daughter how to read and do basic math, things that I never, first of all, I'm so not qualified for any of these things. Um, and I never, ever dreamed I would be doing this in any capacity. So it's, it's, it's far beyond my imagination what's happening right now and that it's been going on for so long. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope there could be like a homeschool graduation ceremony at the end of this school year and you never have to deal with this again, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to have one. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to start planning it now, actually. <laughs> it was <a> <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you being able to get away into the teacher's lounge for a bit because I have to tell you, <laughs> this is such a cool one for me. And, you know, I'm sure for a lot of folks in our audience as well, because, you know, you may be the very first hitter I've had on Break a Bat 
who sung one of the definitive show tunes about the national pastime. About baseball. Yeah. But was it about baseball? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was, that was my very first thing that I had to do for Smash. I showed up in New York. I was living in Los Angeles. I showed up in New York and I started rehearsing that. I am not a dancer, by the way. So I was terrified. And, um, and I had to go, we rehearsed that for a good week. I think maybe even more. Um, but we kept showing it to the producers and stuff like that. And it was, it was filthy. The, the original choreography, it was, it was not for television. And so they had to keep like, <laughs> it down. and even what they ended up showing wasn't all of the choreography that was going on while we were filming. Yeah, that was, that was wild. <laughs> Are there any like tapes existing out there or like bonus footage of this where we could find the original? <laughs> oh, I don't know. You know what when it really hit me was this past I think it was this past May when uh they aired footage of our one night only concert and we did the actual choreography and sang it live. We did every we did all of the musical numbers live. And um and that was the first time when I really saw it all <laughs> and I, I told my parents, I was like, oh, but they were actually at the, the concert. So about like one of my kids, kindergarten teachers at the time was like, she was like, I was watching it with my kids. I had to like turn it, <laughs> I had to turn it off because like, they kept saying, mommy, what is she doing? <laughs> I like, oh, no, I had no idea you're going to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. listen, the quarantine has brought, you know, all sorts of surprises. So, uh -huh. <laughs> and I did get to watch that uh, concert and, you know, with, uh, you know, all this extra free time that we've had recently, I have to say one of the real highlights getting me through this, you know, baseball off season was getting to rewatch smash. And uh, listen, I'm, I'm very sorry that it only lasted two seasons because I absolutely loved it back in the day. But I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but that final episode in the second season, it took me two hours to watch the finale. I'll tell you why, because I just couldn't make it past the first season. It's the first scene. I just kept rewinding and replaying under pressure because like, oh, for me, yeah. like you talk about great TV musical moments, like nothing tops that one for me. And I was always curious, like, do you hear that a lot about under pressure or is like my obsession with that one sort of a first? Um, that is a first. That is a first. Um, but gosh, if I recall correctly, I think that was the last thing we filmed. Was it the last thing we filmed? It was close to one of the last things. I, I mean, that, oh no, that, I don't know what I'm talking about because that was the first. Yeah, I'm thinking of a different song, the one that we all sang at the end of of season two. Yeah. But, uh, but that was a really, it was a really great number. And I love that it utilized everybody. Um, yeah, I thought it was really great. It was supposed to be something else. Um, for a long time, it was going to be a different song. I can't remember what it was. Gosh, it's been so long. Um, but yeah, that's the first time. <laughs> that's a long answer. <laughs> but nonetheless though i think it just still stands up today and you know you know like you said being able to encompass the whole cast like that you know listen that cast was a who's who i mean and getting to hear deborah messing and davenport sing also that was pretty awesome yeah. i just wish i could have hit jeremy jordan's high notes that's something i got to try to get down you know what sing. his part in was it under pressure no it was it was in a different song he sings this really high part and I was originally supposed to sing it. And I was like, 
hey, maybe we should throw this one to Jeremy. Can we throw this one to Jeremy? He's like, I'll do it. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Oh, it's, it was just the best. And, you know, I'm so glad you, you liked it. Oh, yeah. It's just like, you know, listen, I, in full disclosure, my audience knows this. I always loved Glee, but I could relate a lot more to Smash because, you know, especially living here in the city and loving Broadway, it's not like I was a high school kid in Lima, Ohio watching Glee. You know, nonetheless, you appreciate the arts, but like, especially this time, you know, with theater shut down. And listen, I know you guys did that, uh, that little reunion back in May and Deborah Messing talked about how, you know, maybe she'd be open to a reboot if it was filmed in New York and we're kind of like in reboot and in a reboot mania now and and show business, would you ever do it again? (laughs) Um, I think so. It it would have to be, it it would have to be right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I, uh, yeah, I, I, I would love to listen. I miss that show like every day. It was my dream job. I got to play a really interesting character. I got to sing incredible songs. I got to pretend like I was a dancer. Um, and I got to I got to work with the most amazing guest stars. They were all like, like Bernadette Peters was my mom. Like, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I, I miss that show terribly. Um, if we were to go back to it, I would just want it to be right. We can't just do it just because we miss it. Yeah, but I, I would love, I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fine line. I mean, it's like Arrested Development. They rebooted that one and I loved the original, but I feel like the reboot didn't do it justice. And unfortunately you get a lot of that too, but it's just, it's so amazing what you've all gone on to accomplish since obviously. But you know, when you look back on it now, you had taken on some big parts on Broadway before, obviously. Was it at a tough audition process to get that part? Oh, it was terrifying. I, um, I was living in Los Angeles and, um, and it was pilot season and it it was, the script seemed like it had fallen out of the heavens into my lap. You know, it's like, this is crazy. This is a TV show about my world. Like I know these people and, um, and, uh, but I was terrified because it said that Ivy Lynn was a triple threat. That means she's an excellent dancer, which I am not. And I'd had, I've had so many dance calls go horribly wrong that, um, I was like, I, these people are so fancy. I don't want to literally fall on my face in front of them. So maybe I'll just like wait in for a good guest starring role on this show. And my manager at the time was like, no, you should go, you should audition for it. So I went and, um, it, it was it was crazy. It was. I mean, I I don't know how to make a Cliff's Notes version of this because um, pilot season for actors is really terrifying. Because like even when you think you have good news, it can fall apart in a second. And if you're testing for one show, you can't test for another one until the first one has released you, so you can miss out on everything. There was a lot of drama that went along. Uh, with that audition process. But luckily, um, uh, it worked in my favor. (laughs) And I did not have to do the dancing call, which I was um, really, really nervous about. But because I didn't do the dancing call, um, they didn't know what I could do or all of the stuff that I couldn't do. Um, So it, it made it even more terrifying when I showed up. And the first thing I had to do was work on the baseball number. (laughs) 
And now, did they make you watch, uh, you know, a few Yankee games, you know, for the sake of research, or did you come in as a baseball fan already for you that know, one? Um, I, I'm a, I'm enough of a fan. I don't think I'm. I, I think it, it would, it would be rude of me to call myself an actual fan. You know, I feel like a fan, act, like really lives for the sport. I do not. I appreciate it. Um, I've been to many a Yankee game, um, and had a great time. And, uh, so, so I was familiar, but I, 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 I think it would be disingenuous of me to say that I was <laughs> a super fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's more than fine. And, you know, you personally, it's, you know what, listen, you, you're not unlike most of the, our friends from show business that we bring on to break a bat in that, in that sense. So, uh, no one's holding it against you. But what I really love about specifically going to like a Yankee game, I started going to Yankee games a lot when I lived in New York. And what I loved was hearing the backstories from all the players and where they'd been before and all of the things they'd gone through to get to where they are and uh, their strengths and weaknesses and, you know, uh, struggles. I, I, that I really loved. And I feel like that's such a huge part of the game. Um so, so yeah, I guess I am kind of a fan. <laughs> I think you are. We grant you fandom. Thank Absolutely. You. <laughs> and it's so cool how you mentioned that about the backstories. Cause like when I go to the theater, one of the things I'd love to do is open up a playbill. And if I don't know a particular performer, you know, that's going on that night, I love to read their credits a little bit more about them. And it's a real personal experience in that way. You get to know them a little bit, even before you, you watch them you know, perform on stage or at the stadium. So I, totally. I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, there's definite parallels. Absolutely. Yeah, that, I always had that in mind when we started Break a Bat. So I'm glad I'm glad that a pro like yourself sees it that way too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously um, you've been pretty busy during the quarantine. I mentioned, you know, your voiceover work earlier. How's everything going with Trollstopia? Oh, it's great. Um, It's, it's funny because... Uh, in the animation world, things take so long to get finished. I've actually been working on all these shows for years. Um, just some of them happen to start airing during the pandemic. You know, um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to do TOTS on Disney Junior. I've been doing that for several years. Trollstopia I've been working on for a couple years too, uh, which is adorable. They're all just adorable. Uh, I'm on Madagascar, A Little Wild. Um, there's a whole bunch of Oh, there's another thing that's coming out. Um, I think next fall, that's going to be so great. But um, but I'm so so like to say that I'm grateful for my voiceover career is like really understating it. It is like the one thing that I can still do um, during all of this. It was always one of my favorite things to do, but now uh, we've turned our closet in our bedroom into a, a studio, a recording studio, and I record everything at home. Um, so I don't even have to go into a recording studio to do anything. We can do everything remotely and we're still able to have some kind of in income and keep our health insurance, which not many artists can say right now, you know? So I'm like eternally grateful that, um, that years and years, about 12 years ago, I decided to go into this part of the industry just because it was something that was important to me. And now now it's important in a whole different way. <laughs> um, but I love it. I love voiceover and animation because um, I get to, it, it's like one of the most creatively fulfilling things you can do. Um, first of all, like on Tots, I play a koala. 
I'd never be able to play a koala in real life. So I get to, you know, like on Trollstopia, I play like a centaur troll, which would never happen in real life. You know, these are all fantastical things. Um, and I get to sing in pretty much all of them. Uh, so I'm constantly getting to learn new music and, um, I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot of elements to voiceover and animation that I'm just, I, I I've loved for years and I'm so grateful for it. Now you've talked in the past about how you had an opera background really before you got into the theater. Um, were you, were you the type of kid though, that was going around doing different impressions and trying out different voices for, you know, your family and your friends? I don't know that I was ever like trying out different voices or anything, but I was, I was obsessed with opera and, um, and classical music in general. I grew up in Seattle and uh, my voice, my first voice teacher really pushed me into the direction of classical music. I started doing classical vocal competitions and I did this, I call it opera camp, but I, people get mad at me for say, calling it that because it's, a, it's a, it's an apprenticeship program with the San Francisco Opera for young women. It's very prestigious, but I called it Opera Camp because we went and stayed there for several weeks. <laughs> 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 it was just a very prestigious camp. Um, and I, I don't know. I, um, I'm still a super huge uh, opera and classical music like um, fan. Um, and hope, secretly have a <laughs> wish that like one day I could do that. But it's, it's kind of like being an Olympic athlete. You can't just like wake up and, and go do it or even do it in a couple of years. It's something you have to train for years and years and years and years and years of your life to do. So, um, so I understand and respect that at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I give you a lot of credit because, you know, one thing that makes your career so unique is that you've taken on so many different types of roles. And what's kind of interesting is, not that I'm a Trolls viewer, I just happen to do my research. You play a character named Holly Darlin. Um, you've kind of found like a little bit of a niche, you know, kind of with like these country characters. And I'm wondering, first and foremost, if that name might have a little something to do with a friend of yours named uh, Dolly Parton from your nine to five days. <laughs> and like, it's like, you know, you talk about your background. That's just so different from some of these roles that you've taken on. Is that tough for you to get into? Or do you think you just kind of have like a knack for it? It's really, it's really bizarre. People just in life have always assumed that I'm from Texas for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know if maybe I speak in an accent that I just don't, don't, here, you know, I don't, I'm from Seattle. Like that's not, it's not, I, I couldn't be farther away. Um, uh, but it's great. I mean, um, I've, uh, I've certainly been cast as a lot of sassy Southern women. Um, and they're all fantastic. So, um, I don't know. I, it, it yeah, between playing Dora Lee in nine to five and Patsy Klein and, and, uh, and a lot of guest stars. Oh, I, I'm usually like this real, uh, I, I, my, my bread and butter used to be like just being the annoying friend and half the time I'd be a Southern lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know what that is, but I'll take it. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. And you know, you mentioned some of your, uh, past roles. Uh, we do a little, segment here on break of bat and if you hate it you can just tell me but um <laughs> it's called seventh inning stretch and what's cool about it is you know similar to 
the back of a baseball card. It's a chance, you know, for our audience to learn a little bit more about your past work. Um, And it's also, you know, a chance for you to stay loose as a player, take some cuts in the cage. Uh, That way you can stay on your game for the later innings of the episode. And it's an opportunity for you to join what we call the winner circle. Do you know what the winner circle is? Uh, It sounds really good. It sounds like it's something I want to be a part of. Well, that sounds like the spirit that we need to play the game. It's a... <laughs> it's a very exclusive group here on Breaking Bad. It's for folks who do an outstanding job of answering some trivia questions, a few of which, oh you know, will honor your ties to the Broadway world. And I don't know, maybe a few others centered around. Oh, I'm so baseball. not going to. I'm so not going to do well, on this, <laughs> but I will play. I will play. <laughs> well, there's a prize at stake. I'd love nothing more than to give it, give it to you. And uh, to tell you the truth, it's kind of a cool prize so i really hope you okay. <laughs> great all right let's do it folks uh question one i mentioned your ties to dolly parton a few minutes ago and as many of you know one of her biggest songs is a little number called jolene and while it unfortunately wasn't featured in nine to five it was in fact covered by another artist who's had their music featured in a broadway musical is that artist carol king Brian Wilson, Olivia Newton-John, or Glenn Fry? Carol King? The answer is Olivia Newton-John. Ah. She did her own cover of Jolene on the Come On Over album. Unfortunately, it didn't make its way onto Broadway and Xanadu. Um, oh, wow. Unfortunately, that's a deep cut. Wow. Deep cut, yeah. <laughs> deep cut. Okay, all right. <laughs> Hey, I'm learning new things. I may not be in the winner's circle, but I'm learning new things. You might, you still have time to get there. You have a couple more at that. I think a couple of these questions might be right up your alley. (laughs) Mariner's question, because I know you're a Seattle girl. Uh Okay. Which Japanese phenom and former Seattle Mariner became just the second player in baseball history to win both the Rookie of the Year and Most Valuable Player Award in 2001? Is it A, Ichiro Suzuki, B, Hideki Matsui, C, Hiroki Kuroda, or D, Masahiro Tanaka? Oh, it's either, what are one and two again? Ichiro Suzuki or Hideki Matsui? Is it Ichiro? Ding, ding, ding. She's on the board, folks. She got her first hit of the game. (laughs) (laughs) You probably remembered him because he did have a brief stint with the Yankees and he yes. had three. Yeah, you remember that? I, I saw him play. Yeah. And I remember everybody chanting his name. That's why I was like, what? Yeah. 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 Well, congratulations. You got your first hit. Yay! And, uh, you know, the, the golden rule of this game is if you get enough of them right, you win the prize. So Fantastic. Uh, let's see how you do on this one here. This could be interesting. Okay. For our Smash fans. A number of your former Smash castmates have sung the national anthem prior to various sporting events. I know you did it for the Seahawks. Uh, who is the only one to do so before a Subway Series game? A Subway Series game is when the Mets, Mets and Yankees. And Yankee. yes. You know your stuff. I should have made that one of the trivia questions. <laughs> <laughs> Was it A, Jeremy Jordan, B, Deborah Messing, C, Leslie Odom Jr., or D, Christian Borrell? It's either Leslie or 
or uh, Jeremy. And I'm going to say, let's say Leslie. Ding, ding, ding. Holy cow. You are two for three. That's a 667 batting average. <laughs> Did you guess that because his character was a Mets fan and smashed? Did that have anything to do with it? No. No, I didn't. Wow. I'm no. impressed nonetheless. No. <laughs> well, I think that if you get this next one right, uh, you're going to win the prize here and join the winner circle. Oh my gosh, um, I'm so nervous. Oh, this is your chance, Megan. Bring them home. <laughs> You're part of a great lineage in the Wicked franchise uh, who's played the role of Glinda. Which of the following Broadway performers is not a member of that lineage? Is it A, Katie Rose Clark, B, Cara Lindsay, C, Amanda Jane Cooper, or D, Carrie Butler? Carrie Butler. Ding, ding, ding. I wish I had a bell. Megan Hilty, oh, no. folks. I wish I, I, I would love to see Carrie Butler play Glinda. She'd be fantastic. Why hasn't that happened? She's got like the perkiness thing. I could definitely see her doing a good job well, of it. She's, she's also got this like ageless thing going for her. You know, like, <laughs> like I couldn't, I know her and I couldn't tell you how old she is. And you could tell me she was 18 or a, a much higher number. And I'd say, okay. <laughs> yeah. So are you saying that you know? there's an expiration date on the, you know, how you have to, you know, when you when it comes to Glinda, there's like, a, you know, an age expiration date where you have you to know, like look up to a certain age. No, I, not. I think the more important thing is that is having Glinda, Alphaba and Fierro all be the same age. I think I think you just can't have one much younger or older than than the other. Right. Unless you had someone who got held back for a few years at Shiz, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Megan, I want to grab your prize before we continue. This is a cool one. What is the prize? All right. Now, this um, this is sort of your official welcoming to the baseball and Broadway community. You know, speaking of, you know, Wicked, uh, a lot of our folks in our audience view Araldus Chapman as the unofficial mascot of Break a Bat because he throws extremely fast. And he has, you know, he's pretty dear to the Wicked community these days because uh, rather than defy gravity, we like to say he defies velocity. Ah, uh, nice. So I'm really happy that you won this. Pass it along to someone from the Wicked lineage. This is a Chapman on Broadway, break a bat, long sleeve t-shirt because everyone awesome. loves a long sleeve t-shirt. Yes. So this is your prize for the winner's circle. Congratulations. I win, I win. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> it, and, you know, I mentioned, you know, we were talking about Wicked just now. And, you know, your rookie year when you broke into show business, which is, you know, how I became familiar with your work. Um, did you know it was something special when you were in the show? Or could you have ever imagined oh. that it would still be running today? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I was I was a senior when the show opened. I was a senior in college. And I remember it opened, it opened the October of my senior year. And people kept going to New York saying, oh my gosh, you have to see this show. You're going to be in this show one day. You know, everybody, everybody's talking about this show, you know. Um, and, uh, but everybody thought that I'd auditioned for Elphaba and not Glinda because I didn't, I didn't sing like, <laughs> I, didn't, I tried not to do the classical stuff while I was at school because I realized that there weren't very many, uh, there weren't very many parts on Broadway for classical singers. So I was, I was like, I need to use this four years to learn how to belt, you know, and learn how to sing the stuff that's on any, anyway, who cares? Um, so 
so when I auditioned, it was about six months later. It was during my showcase. Um, you know, our senior class went to New York and did this big audition for casting directors and agents and stuff. And um, I was actually auditioning for a different show that fell through. And then the casting director said, Hey, you know what? Why don't you come back and, uh, and audition for the Kristen Chenoweth replacement? Um, and I was like, what? <laughs> that was <so> crazy <laughs> to me. I was like, nobody's ever heard me sing like this. You know, the, uh, is it just, I don't, I didn't know why. And they had me see the show the night before and uh, my audition and that I, I had flown in from Pittsburgh where I was going to college and I was like, nobody could do this after either of these two women. This is insane. Like, let alone me, you know, like this is so crazy. But anyway, uh, I, I, it, it was, it was never lost on me, the magnitude of that show. And, uh, and you could feel it, the energy, uh, I, I don't know. It, it's just undeniable that that, that story and those songs are going to to last a really long time. Um, that it hits so many marks of what people want to see, you know. Um, so yeah, I, that's I've, I've I'm just answering all of your questions with really long answers. I'm sorry. I hope you can cut these down to like manageable segments. But I'm not cutting anything because I love this. <laughs> Go on. If there's more um, to tell, tell. No, no, no. Um, no, it was never. It, it it always scared me, you know, I, the magnitude of it and the, the scope of it. Um, I, cause I joined the cast about 10 months after it opened. So it was huge. It was already huge, you know? Um, yeah, I was terrified, terrified. And was there sort of like a validation moment, you know, the first time you went on where you're like, damn, I can actually do this thing. The first time I went on was the most, one of the most terrifying things I've ever done in my life because uh, I was a standby. So I was really separated from everybody in the cast. Um, and Adina Menzel was still there. This is, I mean, this is how long ago this was that I went into the show. And, uh, and I had two hours notice to go into the show. You know, it, there's there's a difference between a standby and an understudy. An understudy is in the ensemble and they're in the show every night. They also cover uh, sometimes multiple leading roles. A standby is there for one job. And that is as basically as insurance if in case, God forbid, anything happens to one of your leading players, um, you have somebody who's literally just standing by ready to go on. And... Um, and in Wicked, they've had to use them a lot because those two roles are so demanding physically, emotionally sometimes, you know, like it, it's a lot. So, um, so yeah, I, I was not with the rest of the cast for those couple months. Um, I, I felt very much like an outsider and very much felt like I didn't deserve to be there. So, um, so that first night I was sitting in the Glinda dressing room panicking and Adina came in and she said, is there anything you want to go over or talk about? And I was like, oh, yeah. you know, it was like completely <laughs> flipping out. And she did something that I will never forget. And I tell every, anybody who will listen, um, she just came up to me, she put her hand on my shoulder and said, you know what, let's just make this show our own tonight. You know, and it just, that seems, it seems like such a small thing, but by doing that, she gave me the permission to breathe and relax a little bit and have fun with her, 
you know, and actually and possibly enjoy the night instead of coming in and saying, hey, at this point, I need you to be standing here. I need you to say this like this and that like that. Because she could have and she would have been completely within her right to do so. It wouldn't have been, you know, out of the ordinary or anything. But instead, she chose to uh, give me the freedom of having a really exceptional first night on Broadway. <laughs> with That's her. absolutely yeah, ser- seriously, what a way to break into the show. And, yeah. you know, it's it's very similar in baseball in certain ways. You know, you talk about making, you know, let's make this show ours. Let's make it our own. You know, you have a lot of, pl- you know, players who come up through baseball, you know, who kind of want to honor and emulate certain guys of the past who played their position, but also want to make their own unique mark on the sport. And you can't necessarily do a carbon copy of what's existing because it, it's very easy for that to become stale very quickly. And, you know, that's, that's, I think what really separates the greats of the people who are, you know, able to slow the game down, slow the show down and, you know, make it your own and just breathe. Like you said, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for you personally, you know, you've taken on a number of really established roles over the years. I mean, you did Audrey and Little Shop down in D.C., but how does that compare to, let's say, originating a role like you did with Dora Lee at 9 to 5? But I mean, even with Dora Lee, somebody else had already made that role, not just originated it, but made it iconic. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you could you could look at my career and just say, oh, she's just taken things that other people have made super famous and and tried to breathe some kind of other life into it. I don't know. I, not other life. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, uh, but I, I always try to do what you just said. Um, I'm always trying to pay homage to the person who has... Um, uh, who has played whatever role uh, before me, but also bring myself to it too. It's a, a very delicate balance, but necessary because A, of people's expectations and th- to some extent to the, the, the reason why these roles and these shows are so iconic are because of what they did. So you can't just you can't just brush it aside and just do your own thing. You know, you have to, you have to respect how it was built, but also uh, you can't copy them because it's not, that's not real. That's then you're just a robot. You know, there has to be a beautiful blending of the two for it to be, I don't know, funny, moving, touching for any, for any audience member to connect to it at all. Now, let me ask you this, you know, uh, you talk about bringing your personality to it. You know, do, what, do you think that of yourself as like a very outgoing person generally and, you know, kind of bubbly, no pun intended with, you know, like with a role like Linda, for example, <laughs> or like, you know, do you think of yourself, you know, because you've done some serious work too. Do you think that's more in line with who you are as a person? I don't know. I'm, I kind of run the gamut, you know, um, I don't know that, I don't know that I would call myself more of one or the other (laughs) kind of all over the place um which I mean it is what it is I uh but that's kind of why I was really I was really kind of shocked when I got the audition for Glinda because I was like that's not me at at all but then I started thinking about how fun that would be to to do something that's so 
<laughs> so deliciously not who I am, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't know how I would characterize myself. I, cause I do kind of feel like I'm all over the place. You play a lot of different positions. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Does that make me a, sh mm, does that make well, me more of a shortstop? Well, here's the thing. I, I, you could be a middle infielder because you know, there's okay. second base and shortstop. I wouldn't call you a utility player. I think a utility player is, uh, someone who's in an ensemble who could, you could plug into, you know, a few different positions on the field. Let's say a utility player is more or, of like a shortstop like who can also yeah. play, who plays center field also. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I think that you're, if I have to like, you know, we talk about a lot of parallels, maybe you're, you're, you could be a corner infielder who could play first or third base. And you know what? I actually think that's better than shortstop for you because, oh, you know, okay. there's a, there's a lot of power hitters who play first base or third base. So I think regardless of what role you're in, you bring a lot of power to the lineup and you help right. your team in that way. Oh, so I, I like that. that. Okay. So you're a corner infielder. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'll take it. <laughs> maybe I need to be a coach because I'm pretty bossy. Maybe, maybe I should be a coach. I don't know. I don't know. This is what I'm saying. I'm all over the place. Pretty bossy. Now, wait a second. I, you know, does that apply, you know, with your kids in the classroom as well, around the house, with your friends? Is that, are you like a type A personality who has to have um, control? I, yeah, I think so. I'm finding, I'm finding more and more through, through the pandemic <laughs> that I think that's maybe who I, more of who I am. Um, or maybe I just need more of that during, during this time. I don't know. Um, I, I just, I just don't, I just don't take a lot of crap. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's, you need that to survive these yeah, days. <laughs> that's, uh, I think, I think, but I think that's years in, in show business, you know, where we, we take care of ourselves in every sense of the word. We're constantly being taken advantage of, you know, we're always the first ones that people come to, to raise money for other people you know, and for, and we're expected to do it for free, even though this is what we do for a living. You know, I cannot tell you how much I have been asked to help fundraise for, and for other people and organizations. And don't get me wrong. I love doing it. But at the same time, somebody has to start acknowledging that we are the ones that are, we have like close to zero in bailout for us. We have the actors fund, which is phenomenal and they're doing a really they have a really big job to do but yeah it's, it's, anyway i'm i'm di i i'm digressing but um yeah i just i think uh, being in this business for a certain number of years and after you know having to stand up for myself and and uh i think i think that kind of hardens you a little bit i like to think that i have a good attitude about it still but um but i don't know <laughs> Yeah, no, I no, I think that you're you're speaking in a very honest way. Was that more prevalent when you first broke into the business, where people would try to break, uh, take advantage of you, you know, financially, for example, or with a kind of like a bad contract? Well, in in the beginning, you don't notice or care because all you want to do is work, you know. And you, you still, after all these years, all you really want to do is work. But after a certain amount of time, you start realizing what your worth is and how people are trying to cut corners. And usually when they cut corners, it's around how they treat their performers. Um, usually, usually I don't want to put a blanket statement on like 
like this is how all organizations treat their artists. But I just, it's really highlighted for me and a lot of my friends, you know, a lot of the companies that, that are begging for funding, but not taking care of the artists that, you know, have nothing now. Right. You know, honestly, um, I'm certainly happy that you've had the career trajectory that you've had because, you know, like I said, you've done so many cool things over the years and, you know, you know, the Broadway community still loves you as much as ever, which is so great. And, you know, such, such a big reason why I'm, I'm so honored to welcome you here tonight. I can't wait to play fastball derby with you, by the way, this is, this is like a little, Oh my gosh, I'm nervous. Oh yeah. This is where you got to think about that guy Chapman that I told you about. He throws Mm -hmm. 105. Uh, You got to think quick in the batter's box, but you know, there's a nuance to this because you're also a great storyteller. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. You tell me the first thing that comes to mind. There's no rules. So just answer however you want and uh, get the fans to know you a little bit better. How does that sound? You got it. Let's do it. All right. Better up. Favorite New York City meal? Quality meats. Uh, steak at Quality Meats. Yeah. And broccoli bites. Right. Oh, they're so Ooh. good. Yeah. You just gave me some ideas for dinner tonight. Thank you. Oh, for that. quality. <laughs> oh my gosh. I miss it so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a thing or two about great American music. Who's America's band, the beach boys or the Eagles? <gasps> oh, how dare you? Uh, oh, you know, I'm going to say the beach boys. I, if, I mean, I'm probably going to get in a lot of trouble for saying that, but yeah, I'm going to say the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. Wait a second. Do you have some ties to Don Henley or Joe Walsh or something that I'm not aware of that well, they're going to hold think, you to this? I think, uh, I think Don Henley's one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe I should say the Eagles. I don't know. I don't know. Can I? You can't go wrong with either one. But yeah, well. Oh, now I'm panicking. Can't you read the headlines? uh, You know, when this episode comes out, Hilti says (laughs) America's been (laughs) the beach. I know you're gonna get me in trouble. Um, maybe I should say the Eagles. I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll call it even as long as you tell me your. All right. I'm going to say the Beach Boys only because I discovered them first. I love classic rock music and I love Brian Wilson, although I relate probably more to the late, great Glenn Fry. Uh, yeah. You notice that I mentioned both of them in one of our trivia yeah. questions. But I'll go Beach Boys just because they were there first. And I think that they kind of I think that they created the California sound. And we just, you know, you're out there I now, you know, I think you're know. absolutely right, because um, my I grew up listening to the Beach Boys through my dad. Uh and of course, I, I grew up listening to the Eagles too, but I, I it was, I don't know. I, I, I do agree that, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to stay with the Beach Boys, even though this is a very tough decision. How's <laughs> <laughs> that for a lightning round? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no rules and the ball's coming fast. So you know what? Sometimes, you, you know, you can't make up your mind on how you want to swing and that's okay. Yeah, that was a weird, awkward bunt that I just did. <laughs> very weird. That didn't, didn't quite land right. <laughs> good terminology. That's good. All right. How about this one? Team Jeter or Team A-Rod? Oh. 
Jeter. Jeter. Okay. Hey, I'm I'm Team Jeter too. Welcome yeah. to the team. Yeah, Team Jeter. Favorite song that you got to perform in Smash? Let's be bad. And under pressure, honorable mention. <laughs> yeah, uh, honorable <laughs> mention. I mean, they just keep moving the line is one of my favorite songs to sing ever. Um, and secondhand white baby grand are is is one of the most beautiful things I've ever gotten to sing ever. Uh, so those are my top three. Those are some great ones. Also, yeah. another honorable mention, because I mentioned I love Glee, uh, Don't Dream It's Over. I think your cover is the only version that tops Corey Monteith. I love that one. Really? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Thanks. Thank you. That's, that's one of my great regrets that that and Under Pressure are not on Spotify right now. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. That's, you know, uh, we- really one of my favorite things uh, that I got to sing was... Um, uh, 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 Somebody said you got a new friend. It's the Robin song. Um, so I'm in the corner watching you dancing on my own. Oh yeah, yeah. That that's the only pop song that I took to them and said, "Hey, I would really like to sing this. I'd like you to make it a ballad. Um, I think it would really work for this." And they totally took it and agreed, and it was in there. And I felt like it's really my only like. <laughs> contribution probably (laughs) and they were awesome as you can tell i am a big fan and it was (laughs) fantastic um how about this fact about megan hilty that would surprise people the most oh uh i really love to cook i'm not like a great cook but i'm i i like feeding people do you have a specialty that you've kind of mastered, you know, throughout this pandemic in the kitchen? I don't know if it's a specialty, but um, since I live in LA, I can grill every day. So I'm out grilling like every day, like chicken, salmon, vegetables. Yeah. Not Fantastic. not anything specific. Yeah. Just just like grilling. Me- yeah. Megan Hilty works in Mean Grill. That's the fact that surprises <laughs> people the most. That surprised me. I'm very happy to hear you say all this. Yeah. <laughs> How about this? While we're on the subject of food, actually, favorite late night snack, two show day. Maybe you're on set for 12 hours. What's Megan grabbing before she hits the couch? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Well, first of all, before a show, I drink a big coffee and have a chocolate chip cookie or uh, any other kind of cookie. I'm not. uh, Yeah, I like. And then I like salty stuff, really. I give me a sweet potato fry and some ketchup or just regular fries. That's, that's a real weakness for me. And the potatoes, the fried potatoes and ketchup. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Most embarrassing on set or on stage moment. Oh my God. There's so many. Um, there was, a. Oh my God. One of them. I really could have hurt somebody. I was, uh, Uh, So I did Wicked for like four and a half years. And by like the fourth year, um, in my last like six months, they were trying to redesign the fight wand uh, because it kind of looked a little weird. Um, They made a different fight wand so that you could actually twirl it, you know, because it's like five feet long. It's huge. Um, But it was supposed to look like the opening wand, but it really didn't. It it had like tin foil and a couple of like sequins on the end. It was terrible but um by that point they were like we need to redesign this to look 
somewhat like the opening wand. So they were trying out all of these new designs on me. And so every couple of weeks I'd get a new one and I had this, um, I, I would like test it out before the show. And then I would test it out again before we did the, the, uh, the scene. Anyway, one week I got real cocky and, uh, I was like, Oh, I don't need to practice. So cut to me on stage twirling this five foot, um, long spear, basically. I mean, it's a wand with like all these jagged things at the end. And, um, and I'm twirling it like a baton, like you would normally twirl a tiny thing. And, um, in the middle of it, I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is really light. This one's super light. I look down and it is not in my hand anymore. <laughs> it has flown into the audience of all places, luckily lands in one of the aisles and doesn't really hurt someone and send somebody to the hospital. I mean, the whole audience was like, dying laughing. I think it was nervous laughter. I think they were all like realizing how bad that could have been. And um, a nice man picked it up and came and gave it to me and we made a little bit about it and then continued on with the show. But I mean, the stuff like that, I didn't try to kill people all the time, but stuff like that happens all the time. Oh yeah. my God. Awful. If only I could have been at the Gershwin for that one, oh the night the spear yeah. flew into so the that audience. Was in, that was in Los Angeles at the Pantages. Oh, no. that was when you did it on the road. That's if, right. Oh, so if I would have done it at the Gershwin, it really would have hurt somebody because there are no aisles in the, you know, down the middle. I think there's a couple in the back, but like it wouldn't, not where I threw it. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. It would, it would have no made aisle, contact to some, some flesh absolutely, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. No. Luckily I was in LA. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Proudest moment of your career. Uh, Singing for President Barack Obama uh, in Washington, D.C. at a Christmas event. Damn, it's tough to to follow, to do our last question after that one. Yeah, (laughs) wow. Amazing. I think you won Fastball Derby, but we do this question (laughs) to wrap every show. And uh, wow, I'm taking it back. That was awesome. Um, There's a pr- picture of it right over there. That's oh, I see that here. That's me singing for the first family, and they're wow lit up in the back. Yeah, no, I have it so that I can be reminded of it every day. <laughs> yes, look back and you know, in times when we need comfort, especially now. That's yeah. uh, that's a nice piece on the wall. Yeah. And um, speaking of pieces, uh, best piece of advice anyone ever gave you. Oh, that's hard to say. I can't, I can't remember anybody like sitting down and giving me advice. Um, uh, can I, can I say the best advice that I would give myself now looking back? There's no rules in fastball derby, so you could absolutely do that. I, I'm sure, I'm sure people have like sat me down and said, Hey, you need to do this. Um, but advice I would give myself, uh, if I could go back to like my sweet young 20 year old self, I would say, uh, trust that you are enough. Don't worry about what you think other people need you to be because you are plenty enough. Um, 
and and stop being so hard on yourself. Goodness gracious. We're so, we're so hard on ourselves just as like humans in general, but there's something very unique about, uh, about actors, you know, when, when we face a lot of rejection and it's very hard to separate, uh, that rejection, like from yourself, because ultimately you're selling yourself. So, um, so just trying to be better about dealing with that too. Yeah. That's great advice, Megan. And uh, wow, I'm, th- this was such an awesome experience getting to have you on the show. I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight. Thank you for Seriously. having me. This is a highlight of my week. Thank you. So, well, this has been a, there have been some great things happening this week as well. But <laughs> thank you. Thank you for giving me a reason to put makeup on and brush my hair. How about that? <laughs> Deal. Okay. <laughs> we'll and take have a it. Wonderful Abs- conversation. So thank you. <laughs> so enjoyed it, Megan. Thank you. You're the absolute best. And uh, so is everyone listening at home. Can't thank you enough for tuning in tonight in the batter's box with us. This is Al Malafrante signing off for the Broadway Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.